Hey, Fellowship family, it's great to have you with us this evening as we conclude our series called The Story of Us. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we have one at the back of the doors, both on either side here. And you can go pick one up. And it's our gift to you if you don't have one already. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you of something coming up May 5th. We've got ShareFest, and this is our 11th year in ShareFest. It started out with around 200 people, and now it, uh, hopefully this year it'll be around 2,000 people um, to join together with other churches and like-minded organizations to do a few things. Number one, we want to make a difference here in Topeka. We want to do, um, we want to do it in the name of Jesus with no strings attached. And so here's what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need you to sign up. We need more to sign up. So if you would go online, you go to sharefestopeka.com and sign up. You'll let them know, um, you know, who you are, what you can do. And we do landscape overhauls and what you can bring if you're giving breaks or something like that. Anyone who signs up who has not yet done this will get, dun, 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 a free t-shirt. Yes. If you've outgrown yours or undergrown yours, you can also get a free t-shirt. Just let us know. You tell us your size, but we're going to need to know that by April 18th, which is the middle of this week. And if you're like me, please do it before you go to bed tonight, okay? So, Because I'd forget if it's not something I do right away. But this is something where we need all hands on deck, and it really does make a huge difference. I don't know of one thing that we can do, and it's just one morning um, one day a year. And I know you'll be blessed by this, and I know we'll be a blessing in our community. If you would ask me, what's the number one thing we do that has broken down more walls with people who don't believe like us or uh, see life the way we do is ShareFest. Because when they see that we're serving, no strings attached, it just breaks down a bunch of walls. We become friends with a lot of people. So please sign up for this. If you're 12 and older, you can sign up and be a part of ShareFest. All right, so now let's go to the story of us, because we started in Genesis, and we're uh, finishing with the resurrection of Jesus, and these past two weeks are all about what happened to the first followers of Jesus after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Brian did a wonderful job last week of explaining the Great Commission. And boy, as, as I listened to that this week, I don't want to be part of the 82% of Christians who have no idea what the Great Commission is. It's Jesus' final words that become our first priority. And so we want to know this, right? And having traveled to Israel, I actually uh, saw a place that most people believe Jesus gave the Great Commission. And it's shown to us in Matthew 28. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. What mountain is that? Well, most likely it was Mount Arbel. And here I am taking a picture of um, from the north part of the Sea of Galilee, looking south. And you look over there to your right or to the west, and you can see Mount Arbel. Now, I took a bus up it and climbed it down because that's the way you do it, okay, <laughs> when it's 90 degrees outside. But this is the view on top of Mount Arbel, so you can kind of picture Jesus and his disciples and others who were curious, who had been part of his ministry or had been touched in some way or were curious about Jesus. They went up there, and it says this. 
when they saw him, it says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's an interesting phrase. I hadn't caught it before as I read this passage. And there's been so many times as a pastor where I thought, God, if you could just do this, you could do it so much better than me. I mean, just show up. Show yourself to people, and everyone, of course, will worship and bow down to you and praise you, right? Wrong. I mean, that denies the heart of man, which is deceitful above all things. And the truth is, not everybody wants Jesus. They can believe even that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Satan does, and his demons. They all believe that, but they have not obeyed him. They've not followed him. They've not turned from their way to trust him. And so this is what can happen in any type of environment. And then Jesus said this in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Here Jesus is calling them to make disciples, and that's the first initiative of the church, is to make disciples, and a disciple is someone who looks like Jesus, who makes disciples, who kind of continues to pass on what they've been given. And they were to be reminded that they're never alone. And you're never alone when you have Christ in your life. Never. Not now, not ever in the future. We have Christ, and we remember that as we do this, Christ is with us. And so this group of believers did unbelievable work in their lifetime, in their generation, to advance the gospel. And I was curious. I want to answer a question with this message tonight. I want to ask ask the question, what was it about them? What was it about them? See, the book of Matthew ends in Galilee, but the book of Acts, which is the acts of God in the lives of the disciples, uh, begins in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until I, t- I give you the orders. And in Acts 1.8, he says this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And if you look at the book of Acts, if you could just kind of put it out all 28 chapters, you could gather up the first seven chapters, and that would be the gospel advancing and people witnessing about Christ in Jerusalem. And then in chapters 8, 9, and part of 10, you'd see the gospel taking root and moving into Samaria and Judea. And then if you go chapter 11 all the way to Acts 28, you'd get the gospel going to the end of the earth. Folks, they did it. They advanced the gospel to the end of the earth. And so my question is that, is that what was it about the first followers of Jesus that moved them to these three things? Number one, to give all they were and all they had to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. They were able to do that in roughly in under 50 years. They took the gospel from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. I think it's, it's fascinating um, as, as we look at that. Let's take a look at that first phrase. What, that, what was it that moved them to give all that they were and all that they had? See, all of this advancement of the gospel, it happened amidst severe persecution. 
intense. They literally ran for their lives. After Stephen was martyred in Jerusalem, they took up all their belongings, whatever they could grab, and they left everything else, and they ran. I mean, that's kind of an interesting strategy of God. How will we advance the gospel to, to Judea and Samaria? Run for your lives! Let's pray. <laughs> I mean, that's what they did. That was their motto. They, they ran for their lives, and then it says, and where, wherever they, ladder, where they were scattered, they preached the gospel. Now, the first century church started with Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And the one place they would never go would be Samaria. You see this when Jesus meets the woman at the well. It wasn't that she was just a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. And she didn't believe like the Jews. How would they go there? Well, they went to the one place they wouldn't be pursued, to the enemy. And that's where the gospel moved to. So we may see it as, this is horrible happening. Let's pray that it never happens. That might be right in the center of God's will and how God uses it. God won't be limited by persecution. He scoffs, he laughs at someone trying to snuff out the gospel. He gets the final word. And so the gospel is advancing. And then you see the Holy Spirit really being unleashed in the church and him moving people all the way to places they would never go. In, in that type of culture, most people never walked further than 10 miles from the place they were born. And they, they, they gave all that they were and all that they had. And there was also this picture of the New Testament church of unprecedented generosity. Those who had the least gave a lot those who had much gave much. They sold fields, and in that day, that was their 401k. That was their retirement plan. That was their future, and they sold it to meet people's needs. I mean, we've got this, you've got a stratified picture in our mind of, oh, the government can handle that, or someone else can handle that. They understood, no, we're, we're the body of Christ here on earth. We're going to meet needs. We're going to make differences. We're going to make sacrifices to advance the gospel. They gave their time and their energy to establish the church, that it would be rooted and grounded in love. And then you get that picture of them advancing the gospel. I mean, it was Paul's heart to advance the gospel. At the end of Acts, he's in, he's in Rome, and he, it says in verse 31 of Acts 28 that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. He advanced the gospel. We're going to see how his life was sold on the gospel. And then to the end of the world. They advanced the gospel to that day, which was the end of the world. Romans 15, Paul talks about, and I want to come to and visit the church in Spain. And he actually made plans to go to Spain in between his first and second imprisonment in Rome. Well, if you know anything about Spain at that time of the year, I mean, that time of the world, excuse me, um, most people had not, dis had not known anything that happened west of the Strait of Gibraltar. They believed that if ships sailed through the Strait of Gibraltar, they would fall off the end of the earth because they thought the world was flat. That it would fall off the end of the earth. And, and it's true, there were sailors who went west and never came back again. And so when Paul goes there, he literally went to the end of the earth in his lifetime. How does this happen? How does this happen to the end 
of the earth. On top of this, not one of their advancement happened with the support of Rome. Matter of fact, in their lifetime, Rome stood against them. They were not organized well. They were scattered. Jewish leaders, the places that you would think would be most receptive to an Old Testament God who's shown himself to us presently, actually sought to eliminate them. They were horribly underfunded. They were scoffed by the culture. They were laughed at because their hero was crucified to a tree. That's a picture of curse. It was a curse. And with bold resistance, they advanced the gospel. And the values of the day under the Roman Empire were honor, duty, and power. That's that's what everyone aspired to be. Honorable, faithful in duty, powerful as a person, and, and having no weakness. And the gospel scoffed at all of those. And so Paul writes in first in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes his final will and testament, and he gives us a picture. He gives us a picture of what, what happened, what moved them to give all they had and all they were to advance the gospel to the end of the earth. Let's take a look at that passage. Paul writes in verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so those three values at the end there, power, love, and self-control, are what just fueled the New Testament church to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's interesting here. I used to read this passage basic and, and only apply it to like spiritual gifts. Like if you have a spiritual gifts, that's what Paul laid on Timothy is that spiritual gift of preaching. But I don't think this is what it really means. I think it's ultimately that he's been entrusted with everything that Paul had been entrusted, which has been entrusted with everyone else who's ever followed Jesus. He's been entrusted with the gospel. And the gift of the gospel in his life, he was ordained to go and advance the gospel in his lifetime. And I think that's something that as I look at this passage, we all can have. We've all been given. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you've been given that that gift of God through Jesus Christ. And we're called then not to let it smolder in us, but to fan the flame and to let it be a roaring passion in our lives to advance the gospel to the end of the earth in our generation. So look at the first thing. I think they were most convinced in Christ. They were convinced. They were not ashamed of him. They were not ashamed to speak him in in times of getting ridiculed or being or suffering or persecution. And look, let's take a look at this and look at verse 8. It says therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's that spirit that God has given us of power who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We talked about in the beginning of this journey through the story of us from Genesis to Jesus that before creation, Jesus was, he is, and he ever shall be. 
But now we see this whole picture of, now that we fully have the picture of the gospel being revealed uh, through Christ and then trusted and believed in by this New Testament church, they go all the way back and say, this has been a plan all along. It's been God's own purpose and his grace. And we were, con- we're convinced of it. We're not ashamed of it. Paul would say in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. It was something they were absolutely convinced about. They wouldn't shirk back from that. Secondly, where they were compelled with the gospel. They were convinced in Christ, compelled with the gospel. Let's look at this in verse 10. He says, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Here, Paul is really developing that, that concept of that it was going to be the love of God that moved him and that controlled him. It was going to be that the gospel that came into his life and made him from one of the most severe persecutors of the faith to one of the great preachers of the faith. He was going to go, no, this is, this is the love of God that's going to work in me. And it's going to be extended. This Jesus abolished death. And he brought life and light and, and brought life and immortality to light through this good news. He would say in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, ultimately, the love of God controls me. And then he would go right into, this is how he viewed himself. He was an ambassador for Christ. God was making his appeal through him, and he implored people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I mean, if you kind of look at this, this is the heart of humanity in brokenness. We want something to save us. We want to be made right. We want to be made better. We're always looking for the next upgrade. We're always looking for the next thing to get better or to that self-improvement tape or or strategy to get better. And, And Paul says, no, it all fails. It all fails compared to Jesus. He's done all the work. He's lived, he's died, he's risen from the dead. He and only Jesus can reconcile us back to God. That's the good news of the gospel. It's bad news if it's up to you. It's good news because it's Jesus. And then ultimately he would say, for our sake, for our sake, for us. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might be made or we might become the righteousness of God. That's the whole glory of the gospel just shining right there, is that none of us deserve it, but all of us can have it. That on the cross, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He, he took our sin, he took our failures, and he paid for that unfaithfulness on the cross by being faithful to the Father. So that now before God, we've been made righteous. We've been right with God. We've been made right with him. They never could get over that. Paul could never stop sharing that. It became just a transformational concept in his life. I'm going to love people. And he went to people and places. He would have never gone without the gospel. But because God's love changed him and transformed him, he reached out and shared that with people. So they were convinced with Christ, they were compelled with the gospel, and third, they were expectant of eternity. 
There's not any more than this. These three simple concepts in their lives just move them to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. He said, which is why in verse 12, I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Until that day was that expectant future time when God would make everything right. All wrongs right. When in the return of Christ, he would, he would create a new heaven and a new earth. And he believed it was worth going through all this trial and suffering and persecution today to live for the future tomorrow. That's, that's the whole concept of the New Testament church. They actually believed that the future is so much better than what we have now, that it was worth the investment of time and energy, finances, everything we are. Paul says, I consider whatever I gain to be loss. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I mean, there was just not an issue with him putting deeper tent, you know, posts down on this world. They were willing to give up this world to live for the next Peter would say it this. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter, who was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, he was crucified upside down and died for his faith because he looked forward to that time when he would see the risen Christ. And he would spend eternity with Christ. Now, those, these are things that moved them convinced. They were convinced in Christ. They were compelled with the gospel. They were expectant of eternity. What moved them moves us to do the very same thing. I think about our influence here as followers of Jesus, and I just look around this room, and I think about everyone and where you're at with these three principles. Are you convinced? That's my question for myself. Am I convinced? Just ask that to yourself. Am I convinced with Christ? Is there any doubt in my mind that if something happened to me tonight, I wouldn't be with him in heaven? Is there any doubt about the way to God and with him for eternity? Any doubt? Because some of us kind of watch this each week. We're with someone who's convinced, but we're not quite convinced yet. I think you owe it to yourself to be convinced on this. Because there's something within all of us that wants to be authentic. And that wants to be all in on something, not just kind of flirting with it. We want to be in. I mentioned to you about my own personal journey in this in becoming convinced. When I was 18 years old and I was going through all this crazy crisis stuff in my life, I wanted to know for sure, Joe Hishma, do you believe and trust and, and are you convinced in Jesus Christ? And that led me to become convinced over a six-month time as I searched the scriptures and I made faith my own. And my life has never been the same. It really hasn't. I... I'm convinced now, I'm not ashamed to speak about Christ in a whole bunch of different environments. And when you're convinced, it changes how you speak. When you're not convinced, the gospel will stall in you. 
It'll be a concept. It will be an ideology. It'll be a belief system. It may even comfort your heart, but it won't move through you. Secondly, are you compelled? Are you compelled with the love of God in that your loving people you haven't yet, you, you haven't loved in the past? That's been a really good area for me to grow in this past year because I've, thankfully, God has put people in my path who didn't believe like me, who didn't see the world like I do, who grew up under very different circumstances. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that as I become to know them and understand them, that God has given me the love for them. And as a result of that, the gospel has moved into that. People have never thought I would hang around with because if it's up to me they got to be people like me who talk like me who vote like me and all that kind of stuff i like just to be comfortable around people and god has moved me to uncomfortable environments and guess what's grown in the process my love guess what's deepened if i just love people who are like me that's a very small population right but if i love people who are not like me god grows your love your love grows deeper and we have to be intentional Paul was willing to go to people and places he would have never gone to apart from the gospel and the love of God. And then eternity. This is one that I think hits me a little bit deeper in my heart because um, I like it when things are comfortable. I do. I like it when things are safe and predictable. And I know there's, we call them hobbies and those are things that we can go and take risks and things like that, but but if we're, if we're addicted to comfort and safety, the gospel will stay very close to us. It won't move beyond us. It won't advance, especially to the end of the earth. And yet we're still called with this today by the same God who moves and works and acts in his church. So what moved them isn't moving us. I want to tell you one man I've met recently in the past five years who's moved me to be committed to these three values. Convinced, compelled, expectant. His name is Pastor Augustine Asir, and he's with us from India. Would you welcome him to our stage? And by the way, he'll be at another church tomorrow, so this is a Saturday night special for coming here. <laughs> Test. That doesn't work. See if that works. I think so. There it is. Okay. All right. So Pastor Augustine Asir, we've been, I've known him for, for about five years now, and he's from India, which um, he's training up pastors to go to people and places that are really difficult to reach. And so he trains up now 243 pastors. And they're scattered all around India. And we get the privilege every month of supporting three of those families, three families, pastors and their families, every month. Fellowship supports that. But we've also, remember when we built this, we took 10% of the initial campaign and we are going to use it to build churches outside of fellowship so we could influence, hopefully reach and help as many people outside of fellowship as we are inside of fellowship. And we've built two churches there. And now this year we're going to build how many? 
Five churches. Five churches. Yes. Tell us, yeah. Tell us how a church is planted in India. How do you do that? Okay. Greetings to you from my family and the family of Word for the World of 240 missionaries. Now, uh, in the midst of all that is happening in India, we are privileged to share the gospel with people. Last year, more than 110,000 people we preached the gospel too. And now we go to different villages, slums, leper colonies, and preach the gospel. Our missionaries do that. And uh, we find out people who are interested in the gospel. So we form a small prayer group. They share with us their uh, experiences. And after some time, the prayer group becomes a Bible study. We study the Bible with them. And after some time, it takes a couple of months maybe, after some time we start a worshipping group from among the Bible study groups and then they need a place to worship. So finally, if there are about 10 to 15 families worshipping the Lord in one place, we build a church for them. It's not like a big sanctuary like this. It's a small church where 50 to 100 people can be accommodated and that's what we are doing and last year, you gave us the funds to build two churches. They are in different parts of our country. And this year, you have already given us, I have the money on my hand to build five churches. Praise the Lord for that. That's right. Thank you very much for your investment in the gospel in that great land of India. That's right. Um, when... When I met him, he did all the interpreting for me. And doesn't he have an awesome voice? I mean, he's the, if God has a voice, that's what it sounds like, I think. <laughs> Thank it's just you. Just authoritative. I wish I had it. I don't. I have this little voice like that. But anyway. Um, and he's interpreted for Billy Graham and for Mother Teresa and for Joe Hishma. How about that? How about that? <laughs> yes. That's so, special. Yes. Yes. But the, the great work that I have seen is I've seen those pastors come together for a training session. And I've heard them, they, they sing and they dance as they're sharing the gospel in music. And then they share what's happening in their world. And one of them, uh, a few of them have been literally beaten by Hindus who have stormed the church and tried to kick them out. Yeah, right. Two of our missionaries were beaten very badly. And along with them, when they were worshiping with 30 people... Um, but uh, the village people, they brought, they came and then protected us. But anyway, it's happening in many places. They are uh, destroying the churches. But in the midst of all, Word for the World has a place to share the gospel. That's right. That's right. I believe this is a modern-day Apostle Paul, and we get to have him with us tonight. I think he's a hero, and I believe, as in the book of Hebrews says... The world is not worthy of this man. But he is someone who's just inspired us. And we're in India because of you. Our, our church is in there doing that because of your work that you started long before we knew about you and you knew yes. about us. And you also got us thinking about our own community because he's from Chennai, India. That's right. And we started thinking, do we have any Chennaians here in Topeka? <laughs> and it just so happened we have 150 families, not people. I thought it was people. It's 150 families from Chennai, India here 
that we have an Indian Christian fellowship on a Friday night here once a month and, and get together and worship with them. So you, God has done so much more than we could ask or imagine through what you showed us in India, even back here. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to close in prayer. And I'd like you to pray these three values of what moved in the first followers of Jesus can move in us, that we would be convinced more than anything that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did, that we would be people would be compelled by the love of God to advance the gospel in our lives. And that would be people who would expect more in the future than we could ever live for in the present. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Shall we pray? A loving Father, we thank you for this privilege that you have given us tonight to come together, worship you in this beautiful sanctuary. We thank you, Lord, for the challenge that you have given us through Pastor His- Joe Hishmael. And uh, we pray, Father, that All that we heard will be put into practice in our lives. Motivate us, Lord. Equip us, Lord. Send us to the world around us. Wherever you want us to go, help us, Lord, to go. And we believe that it is our responsibility to preach the gospel to the people around. We have known you, Lord. We want to make other people known. You you must be known to other people. So, Father, we commit each one of us into your precious hands, praying that you will send us into this world, you will challenge us to go into this world, to preach the gospel to the people around us, wherever that may be, so that this world, which had hundreds and thousands of people who have never heard the gospel, will come to know you personally. Thank you, Lord, once again for this privilege of coming together. Bless us, Lord, continue to use us, especially in the land of India. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.